These things are very handy, but you don't want to keep them on all the time. <laughs> they can get you in a situation. <clears throat> Good to have everybody back. You've been on your uh, fall trip. You've spent all your money, and uh, now you're back with us. Uh, I said last week, I told them, Pastor, that uh, I'd be a preaching again today, and if they wanted to go somewhere else, well, I see some of them going somewhere else. <laughs> but some others have showed up. But it's good to have you here. <clears throat> I had the church basically all by myself this week. Now I moved my study three times. I moved it to the uh, fellowship hall. I came back to my study. Then I moved it outside. It's kind of like the fellow on the island that built two churches, and he was the only one there. But I finally got settled. I'm preaching this morning upon uh, God can't do everything. I made a statement that most of us have heard others make a statement uh, that God can do anything. We realize that God is a sovereign God. Nothing new under the sun as far as He's concerned. But yet there's some things that God just can't do. And I'm going to remind you of those this morning. Like Luke 137 there. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You've got to look at the context of that passage of Scripture. This was a time when the angel was speaking to the Virgin Mary. And he was saying unto her, What is uh, impossible with man is possible with God. And then we have Jesus there in Matthew 19, 26. Uh, where it says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then in Mark 10, 27, where we see there it says, with men it's impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And then I think all of us at some time or another have kindly put our foundational stone uh, down in a passage of Scripture that many times we just overlook, uh, they're found in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 3, verse number 20, where it simply says that, that God is able to do exceedingly, um, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, um, according to the power uh, that works in us. I think some of us have dropped our anchor many times in Jeremiah, chapter number 32, verse number 17, where it says, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. So looking back at our title, God Can't Do Everything, so with that thought in mind, what is it that God cannot do? Uh, I'm going to look at three passages. Uh, this is going to be a very short sermon today. Uh, probably get out by 1.30. 
I'm, I remind you that when we look at these scriptures where it speaks of what God cannot do, uh, I want you to look at maybe one word in the verses that kind of jumps out at you uh, and uh, says something to you. By the way, the little epistle of James uh, is in chronological order, is the first book of the New Testament. You say, well, I thought Matthew was. No, Matthew is not the first book of the New Testament. Uh, the little epistle of James is. And I want you to turn there in James chapter number 1, verse number 13. And I'm going to share with you the first thing that God cannot do. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So the first thing that we know here in the scriptures uh, that God cannot do, and that is, uh, God cannot be tempted uh, with evil. So James is describing how believers uh, can face the temptations uh, and the possibilities of, of falling into sin. So, so James tells us here, God says here, he cannot be tempted. And then when you look on down in verse number 14 of James chapter number 1, you'll note there in that verse it says, But every person, every person is tempted. Stop right there just for a moment. Every person is tempted. And just hold your place there and let me read to you what is said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 13, where it says, and it describes here, that temptation that is out there is common to every person. It's just part of life, and it's a temptation. I'm sitting on my back porch last night, minding my own business, and my wife walks in with a Chick-fil-A, Ice cream, a peach ice cream, what is it? Uh, milkshake. I'm not supposed to have that. But guess what I did? I drank half of it. So only sin halfway. <laughs> First Corinthians ten thirteen. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with a temptation, also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So to be tempted is human, and to be human is to be tempted. Now look back to verse number 14 of James chapter number 1, and it says, But every person is tempted when... When they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And when you look at that, uh, there is a couple of words that jumps out to me in, those, in, in that verse. And that is the word lust. Uh, and then the word enticed. Uh, just to look at it in the English form, uh, it's not a problem. But when you look at it uh, in the original form, uh, the word lust has to do with hunting and bait in a trap um, for an animal to come and to catch that animal. Uh, 
And then there is the word enticed, uh, which has to do with fishing, like baiting a hook. Uh, and uh, uh, as I was cleaning up my garden this past Monday, uh, uh, I was pulling up all of these things, uh, and it almost got me away from cleaning up the garden, because when I'd pull up these things, uh, a big old red worm would come up out of the ground. And I said, I bet that would catch a fish if I was somewhere on the river or on the creek or on the lake. And I almost... I almost quit cleaning the garden and picked up the worms and went to the lake, <clears throat> but I didn't do that. But anyhow, I'm confident that had I went, uh, I could have caught a mess of fish. Uh, and so the world that is out there, whether it be uh, on a billboard or whether it be on your cell phones uh, or whether it be on the TVs or your iPad or whatever mechanism that you have today of communication that is out there, the world out there is enticing, it's lusting, it's given unto us, uh, and uh, it's appealing to the flesh. Uh, and there is that small pool within each of us uh, to take the bait that is out there. And when we, when we do that, uh, we have a tendency, and it was brought out in our Sunday school class this morning, uh, we have a tendency to blame God for doing that. Uh, now, I'll, I'll never... Uh, who brought me the milkshake? <laughs> so there's that pull. God is not tempted and He will... And, and, and will not be tempted. And, and the, James, the, the, the book of James here uses uh, or declares that God is untemptable. Uh, so he's without the capacity of evil. He's untouched by evil because he cannot be touched with evil. Uh, and so we know here that God cannot be tempted by evil because God says here that he's holy, that he's, holy he's not sin, will not sin, and he cannot sin according to the word of God. But temptation is a daily task. We have to deal with it. And I sit sometimes, and I sit, I sit yesterday thinking about the message, and I was going to watch the uh, Georgia-Kentucky game, and did. And uh, I knew it would be good. But how they advertise there on the television. I've never understood some of the things that, that they put in the advertisement uh, in order to get you to purchase something. Uh, they'll, show a, they'll show a vehicle, uh, and then they'll show all these birds over here flying around, and, some, and it has nothing to do with the selling of the vehicle, but it's to get your desire and to get your emotion, and then you've got to have that. How many of us have gone out to purchase a new vehicle that nobody else has? Nobody's got that color. Nobody's got one like that. And then you purchase that thing, uh, and you purchase it for about, what, five, six years now, seven years. Uh, I noticed one guy on television, he bought one of those new vans, uh, camping vans, and he said 20 years from now it'll be ours. That's a long time, isn't it? So... I've never understood some of the things that are out there, but the temptation is there. And then there's a second thing uh, found in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 13, that God cannot do. It says, If we believe not, yet he bideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. 
That is the second thing that God cannot do. He cannot deny himself. And so I said to you, remember, the words, remember some of the words there. And I see the word faithful there that kind of jumps out at me. Or the word faithfulness. I'm not always faithful to God. Me and God had a real tough time this week. And wasn't nobody here but me. Wasn't nobody here but me. He's always been faithful to me. But we often let the Lord down. But He's never let us down. He cannot deny Himself. Uh, uh, but uh, we're not good at denying. We know there are certain things that we should not do. And we know that children come into our world uh, uh, refusing to take the responsibility uh, that is out there. Tell a child not to do this, and what will a child do? Coming Christmas time now, and you're going to be getting some gifts, and you're going to be putting them up, and you're going to say, now don't look here or don't look there. How many have gone into a Christmas tree maybe a week before Christmas was, uh, was uh, to come and uh, kind of slipped open the wrapping paper on that gift and looked into that to see what is there? Everybody's guilty. I'm going to put this up in the closet. Don't you look there. And so what do you find? You find the temptation gets the best of you, and then you're looking there. So when you try to correct that child, uh, they simply say, I didn't do that. And it filters over into the uh, adulthood, too. Taking responsibility for temptation is not something that we accept very well. When I sin, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? It's good to say, well, it's God's fault because God allowed these things to happen. Uh, it's God's fault because of the circumstances that He's got me in. Uh, it's God's fault because He created me the way that He created me, so it must be God's fault because I lust after these things. God, why didn't you do something different? Uh, and you go all the way back to the very beginning of life, uh, and you understand, <clears throat> you stand there in the book of Genesis, chapter number 3, uh, Adam and Eve, as they were confronted by God concerning the things that they had just done. God comes on the scene and says unto them, Of all the trees that are in the garden, uh, this is one tree that you shall, not, you shall not eat thereof. And what do we know? We know that they ate of that fruit. And when you get to Genesis 3 and 9, we note that God comes walking into the garden in the cool of the day, uh, as He usually did, and, and He simply asked a question, Adam, where are you at? And he didn't ask the question because he didn't know where Adam was at, but he asked the question because he wanted Adam to know where he was at. And so he says, there, where are you at? And Adam answered by saying, well, God, I heard your voice in the garden, and I hid myself because I was naked. Oh? God said, who told you you were naked? First time in his life, self-conscious showed up and told him that he was naked. And God said unto him, Adam, 
Have you ate of the tree that I commanded you not to eat thereof? And Adam said, Yes, but, but God, the woman you gave me, she's a problem, God. She, she gave me of the tree and, 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 I, and I did eat. So Adam here really, he's not really blaming Eve, but he's blaming God, isn't he? I mean, here we are, God. Uh, you, could have, you could have picked any other woman that is out there. Why did you pick that woman? I mean, why did you make her like that, God? After all, I went to sleep one night. I didn't know what a woman was, and I woke up the next morning, and I had one. <laughs> Simply put, I was married to one. I didn't even know what a woman was. The issue is not the woman. And we have Eve even denying by blaming the serpent to him. Remember the story? God, I was living in a beautiful garden. And all of a sudden, a snake showed up. A serpent showed up. I didn't make that snake, Lord. And I surely didn't make him talk. So I'm a victim just like my husband. So we deny who and what we are. And the blame is placed on God. And it's been that way ever since. God made me. He made me sinful. God made me with my circumstances. God, you allowed me to marry who I'm married, and now I'm having a problem because, God, you allowed this marriage to take place. Why didn't you let me marry somebody else? Come on up here. I'll sit down. We blame God for the situations that we're in. The, the new car that you bought that you're going to pay seven years on. And then when you get the thing paid for, it's wore out. And you've got to do it all over again and all over again. You can deny what's taking place in your lives... Uh, but God cannot deny himself. So God cannot be tempted and God cannot deny himself. Uh, and, and, and many times we try to deny the things that takes place in our life. Uh, uh, it's good to place it on somebody else uh, because uh, it, it kind of gets us out of a situation that we're in. Uh, but it all comes down to us. Uh, and it comes down to the matter of what God can do and what God wants to do. And then there's a third thing that's found in the little book of Titus, chapter number 1, verse number 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. So God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot deny himself. And now, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So the third thing is, God can... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> God cannot lie. 
What is a word that kind of jumps out at you there in Titus 1 and 2? Well, to me, it's the word eternal life. There's comfort for the promise that we have of eternal life. I don't know who did this, but somebody counted up and said there were 8,810 promises found in the Bible. 7,706 in the Old Testament, 1,104 in the New Testament. Now you say, do you know that's for sure? Well, wintertime's coming on, that's a good job for you. During the winter months, you read up all the promises that are in the Word of God, record them for us, and if I miss one, you come let me know. Somebody else said there were 32,000 promises in the Bible. I don't know how many they are. But they're promises that we can claim and we can trust uh, for every need of life. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises in the Word of God. Preacher friend ran into an old friend. We'll say we'll call his name Frank. Hope nobody hears name Frank. Frank walked out of a bar. He was uh, somewhat intoxicated not dress well. And the preacher said unto Frank, Frank, what in the world has happened unto you? And Frank stood there on the street corner and began to tell the pastor about some bad investments he had made and all of this had led to his downfall and he was blaming all of the problems that he had uh, upon the circumstances that he was in. So the preacher said to Frank, Frank, I want you to go home, and I want you to open your Bible, and I want you to stick your finger down on the page, and there you're going to find God's answer to whatever it is that you need in your life. So some time went by, and again the preacher ran into Frank. This time Frank gets out of a Mercedes, well-dressed, uh, sporting a Rolex watch. Uh, and uh, the preacher said, Frank, I'm glad to see things are better for you. I'm glad to see things have turned around and, and you're doing all these great things. And, the, and Frank looked up at the preacher and he said, Yes, preacher, and I owe it all to you. I went home and I got my Bible and I opened my Bible, and when I opened my Bible, I put my finger down on the page, and there was the answer. Chapter 13. You'll get it after a while. He filed chapter 13. Now, I'd never recommend that you find or claim God's promises like that. But I do recommend that you open the Word of God. And I do say that you read it and you trust its promises and 
you try to find out what God has said. I remember as a young man many, many years ago, desiring to study, desiring to preach, wanting to preach that sermon that nobody else had ever preached in all the life, and that's what I was looking for. And I remember going to this conference, listening to this guy as he was explaining how that he got his sermons together. And boy, I'm always open to that. You know, somebody's got a, a, a monopoly on how to put the sermon together and all like that. And this guy says, what I do every morning, he says, I just lay flat down uh, on my stomach. And he says, I lay my Bible out there. And he says, I just blow on the pages uh, until I don't need to blow anymore. And when I get done blowing on the pages, says, I look and there's a message. Guess what? I found myself, Pastor, laying on the floor, blowing on the pages. And the only thing I found out, I was just getting winded. <laughs> I saw no messages there. And then later on, somebody says, you don't need to study the Bible. You just need to get up there and let it fly. And so I tried that, and that didn't work. Then I read one day where it says, Study to show thyself approval, workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I've been preaching almost, I've been preaching over 50 years. I've been pastoring almost 50 years. I sat this week and I looked in my study and I've got this closet over there. It's, it's huge. And I just opened up both doors. And there's thousands of sermons there. Thousands of sermons there. And I said, God, I've only preached these things. I've, I've preached them one time. Why can't I preach them again? And of all the sermons that are there, I think I've, I've only preached a couple of those sermons again. So I'm going to get out those old sermons. I'm going to lay in the floor and blow on the pages. <laughs> so God cannot be tempted. God cannot deny himself and he cannot lie. I don't know if you read the book, The Day a Miracle Told the Truth by James Patterson. In the beginning of it, it says that 91% of those surveys said that they lied about things they considered trivial. 36% lied about important matters. 86% of the children lie regularly to the parents. 75% lie to their friends. 73% lie to siblings. And 69% lie to their spouses. Some of the most common lies, well, I wasn't feeling well. That's the reason I didn't come to work. Well, I didn't really want to hurt your feelings, so I really didn't tell you the truth. Or the checks in the mail. Or I was just kidding. So we're living in a generation that seemingly finds it acceptable and normal to lie one to another, but God never lies.
God never lies. Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 18 says, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. What's your hope? What is your hope? You sit here today and we've got all of this problems that's in our world and we we, we listen to the news and we listen to what all is going on and um, they're going to cancel Halloween. Now they're going to cancel Christmas and, you know, all this kind of stuff. What's your hope? <clears throat> I remember a story by preacher told about preacher Billy Sunday. I don't know if you've ever read much on him or not. He was a he was a guy that played baseball for the Chicago White Stockings, not the White Sox, but the White Stockings. That's what it was in the beginning. And he was a <clears throat> he was a scrambler. He was a before he ever got saved. I mean, he was a fellow you just didn't want to contend with. And they used to have open air meetings. Uh, and Preacher Billy Sunday was out, and he was up on this platform, and uh, he was preaching this sermon. And this guy comes into the, into the group, and he begins to harass uh, Billy Sunday about saying, All that you're preaching, there's not a verse in the Bible that is true. And he kept on harassing Billy with that thought there. All that you say up there, there's not a verse in the Bible that is true. So Sunday stopped his message and walked down into the crowd where the uh, guy that was arresting him was. Uh, and Billy Sunday said unto him, Would you like for me to show you a verse in the Bible that's true? And the big old guy said, Sure, but you can't show me in the Bible where there's a verse that is true. So Billy goes over, grabs a guy in a headlock, takes his finger and pull, puts on his nose and begins to twist his nose until his nose begins to bleed. And the guy said, what did you do that for? Billy Sunday said, well, you said for me to show you a verse in the Bible that was true. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 30, verse number 33, it says, Surely the churning of milk brings forth butter, and the wringing of the nose brings forth blood. Case closed. <laughs> so it demonstrated a verse in the Bible. So the Bible's true. The verses are true. Why? Because God cannot lie. By the way, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true. Thank God there's some things that God can't do. 
But thank God there's many things that God can do. And this is what God can do. God can reach down into the red clays of North Georgia and let a little, let a little baby boy be born on the 22nd of 19, 26th day of November 1946 to a couple that uh, the father's just come through war and they've married and I'm their firstborn son. Grow up in a difficult situation. And then when this old boy was about 18, almost 19 years of age, oh, as a, as a young boy, I used to go to church as a young boy. In fact, I'd go and drive my daddy's car at the age of 14. Daddy let me drive to church on Sunday night, and I had no license. And boy, you can imagine what this guy pull up in the churchyard in a fairly decent looking car and, and get out and, and, and say, they'd say, you driving the car? Well, sure I am. I remember walking out of that church one night after being convicted of the Holy Spirit of God that I was lost. And I got in the car to drive home. And I remember telling God, God, you take care of your business and I'll take care of mine. Just leave me alone. But on the September 15th night, 1965, once again, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit of God that I was lost. I needed to be saved. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to pray. But I remember going to an old-fashioned altar and bowing at that altar and saying, God, I don't know how to pray, but God, will you save me? And guess what? God save me thank God there's some things he can't do some things he can do and that is he can forgive sin and he can save us all let's all stand as we pray together as our people are coming if you have a need here today a lot of things God can't do but one thing God can do, He can meet your need here today, whatever it is. I don't know what you're going through, but He does. Now you may be going through a temptation or a trial. You can do business right where you're at, but they're going to sing a song in a moment. If you want to come and pray, if you want somebody to pray with you, the pastor's here, he'd be glad to pray with you. I'm here, I'd be glad to pray with you. Or maybe somebody down the audience that you want to pray with you. Just come by and get them by the hand and say, would you come and pray with me? I'm sure they will. Father, we're grateful today for the things that you can do in our life. These are just three little simple things that tells us 
God cannot do these things. And I'm grateful. I thank you for the church. I thank you that's been a part of my life now for all of these years. I realize one of these days, God, if Jesus doesn't come, we realize that in the obituary column our names will be. And it says so-and-so maybe departed this walk of life at their home or in the hospital or a nursing home or wherever. But I'm glad their promises in the Word of God tells me I'm more alive on that day than I've ever been. I'll be in your presence. Because there's a promise of the Word of God to be absent from this body is to be present with our Lord. Only you know who here today, God, that needs to hear this. Only you know who needs to come today to maybe settle some matters with you. So I pray that you allow that to happen today as they sing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.